Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Hi, everyone. It's Roxanne Derhage of Authentic Living with Roxanne. And today I have a special guest, Mohammed Anwar. And um, Mohammed has been in business for quite a while. He's a young guy, but I think, uh, you know, did you start business in grade school there, Mohammed? You started so young. <laughs> Yeah, I started uh, my business when I was 20 years old, still pursuing my computer science degree uh, at uh, University of Houston. So I was in my junior, senior year when I started. My goodness. So you started right out the gate. Yes. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about Mohammed and uh, his bio will be, you know, in the show notes. But um, he has a pretty fascinating story. And we both um, uh, crossed paths at the Forbes Executive Business Council. But what he talks about, which is that I think it's, you know, when I think of the word love, so I'm a, you know, my background is a psychotherapist, Mohammed. people yes. cringe in business generally. They go, well, what is, what does love have to do with a boardroom? And, uh, you know, so I'm, I love um, your new book and the title because it's love as a business strategy. So Mohammed Anwar was such an amazing guest that we decided to have him back yet again. I've, made this podcast into a two-part series. So glad you could hang out with us for the first part. If you didn't catch the first part, please, please check it out. It was an amazing podcast with Mohammed. We believe behaviors is the foundation of building the right processes and procedures. So if you have the wrong behaviors, wrong mindsets, you will see that reflected in your processes, procedures, and systems. So that's kind of the, the journey. And we, we, we say behaviors are the bottom line. If culture eats strategy for breakfast, like Peter Drucker says, then behaviors eat culture for lunch. That's our philosophy. I like that. Now, yes. let's talk about some of the practical things, right? So you were, like you said, you had to make the shift. But trust had to have been impaired at the time you were making that shift. So I'm going to be, I'm going to play devil's advocate in a, for a second. I'm saying, here, Miss, here's Mr. CEO. I don't know if I like you. And now we have the CEO that's coming from a place of love. I think people are going to go, well, that's a nice thing there, Mohammed, but I don't know if I'm going to get on board. What kind of dissension did you deal with and how, how did you approach that? And I'm, obviously this is what you do now with culture, but I, I'm curious because I know I've been in those situations over and over again where everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You want me to tell you what I really think? And then where's yeah. that information gonna go? And is it gonna show up in my performance evaluation or am I not gonna get that major project? So what kind of things did you deal with? Sure, so first of all, when I watched that football game that weekend, the following Friday, I had a whole company stand up with 200 plus employees. And I made an open declaration that I, where I said, hey, we need to love one another and support one another. Because I want, you know, I was so inspired that I wanted to make that declaration. And when I did that, people were like, this is what they told me afterwards when they were comfortable to tell me this. They were apparently initially they were like, okay, that sounds interesting, but this looks like it's the flavor of the month. And, you know, we'll see what we see. We'll see if you get you will really act on it. And that was their skeptical approach because I had obviously not had a good track record up until that point in time. So they didn't want to believe that this 
this change or this commitment to change was going to be real. Um, but after that, like I, I continued to stay steadfast on my commitment and took actionable steps, um, tried to do whatever little things I could do to show my genuine effort in building a culture of love by first working on myself. I didn't mm-hmm. hold anybody else accountable but myself. Um, and through that journey, I think people started to see that, okay, this is not the flavor of the month and that there is some real effort happening. Um, like little examples, just to give you, I vacated my executive office that was the largest office in her office space. And I moved out into the bullpen area with the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. And initially they thought I was there to monitor them and micromanage them. But ultimately they realized I was there to serve them because mm-hmm. I believe that I need to put their needs before mine. And this open door policy isn't really a real thing because if you're a leader, you should be going where the team is not asking them to come make the walk to your office so I decided to be with them in the bullpen area. I started to come to the office first before anybody else showed up. And I would be the last person to leave the office. I wouldn't go till the last person had left. And many a times when people would stay late uh, for work, I'd make sure to go pick up dinner for them so they didn't have to go home and have to prepare a meal. I started to write thank you notes to our teams. I had never done so in 12 to 13 years of running my business. And when I did that, I also included gift cards to the movies or dinner to show my token of appreciation, not just to the employees, but the family members and the spouses and the loved ones, because they too were sacrificing um, their time away from their loved one for them to be at Softway. So I wanted to show my token of appreciation there. Then I started to um, make sure I do... There, there was no task beneath me. I started to do anything and everything I would generally delegate, whether that meant um, picking up trash or serving food to the team when we had potlucks, um, down to even making sure that I would not ask anybody to do something I wasn't willing to do myself. So I tried mm-hmm. to play the roles of a project manager, salesperson, <laughs> anything and everything I could do to be beside my team in the trenches, so I began to do a lot of those type of little things. I also did some um, things that I didn't disclose at the time. Um, I sold my house that was fully paid out to put money back into the company to make payroll. I sold a, a fancy car that I should have never had to begin with and put the money back into the company. And I didn't take a paycheck for eight months in all of 2016 because I wanted Mm. to make sure our team would receive paychecks before mine. But all of these things were done without disclosure because I didn't believe that I needed to show it off at the time, but it was the, that things had least impact on, on our team. Yes, they did notice all of a sudden I was not driving a Porsche and I was driving a minivan, but (laughs) at the same time, I, I don't think those things mattered as much. What mattered was the little things that I did the little things I took to write a thank you note, the things that I did to be there with the team or help them on a project. Those acts of servitude is what I think made the difference. Um, and, and I think from there, like everybody who had doubted or had skeptical 
response to my initial declaration saw that there was a genuine um, effort. But even then, I don't think I was able to get the past beyond me. Um, I made one trip to India in July of 2018, almost two years into this journey. And I did a, a town hall meeting where I asked for a poll and I said, hey, I trust improved between you and I, and only two people out of a hundred plus people raised their hand. Mm, wow. Yeah. I was incredibly disappointed. It was like a punch in my gut. And I remember being very disappointed. And I just left that meeting abruptly at the town hall abruptly. A few days later, I had another meeting with the, with the entire company and I mustered the courage to go up there and I apologized. I apologize for all my past behaviors. I apologize for all the policies and systems that I had put in place that had hurt them. And I remember seeking forgiveness and I was crying at the time. And so I became very emotional and abruptly ended that meeting as well and left. And uh, the last day of my trip arrived and I was supposed to head back to Houston and that evening, they organized a farewell gathering for me. And uh, they surprised me with a book that said, we love you and we trust you more. And they filled the book with messages of love and support um, for me. Each and every person had sent an individual message and, and uh, filled up the book. And uh, <laughs> I received that book and I started crying again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I learned a very valuable lesson that day, which was, as leaders, we can commit to change and our change as much as we want. But if we're not going to ask or seek forgiveness for our past behaviors, that trust is never going to be built. And so I know you asked the question about trust. And, mm -hmm. and so my biggest learning from that lesson was forgiveness is so important in a workplace and it's barely spoken about, but you can't heal cultures or move forward without that opportunity to forgive one another because we hurt each other intentionally or unintentionally. We're human, but also we need to have the courage to apologize. Otherwise trust uh, or any of those type of other attributes that are critical for organizations will never be built no matter what you do. What an, what an amazing story, but it's so true. Because I often say that um, when disillusionments uh, build up, it's like having a piece of food lodged in your throat. Uh, quite literally, you, ca you can't do much because all you're trying to do is breathe. And when you dislodge that uh, piece of food, which would be, you know, like you're asking for forgiveness, people felt a lot in that room, but they probably had a lot of mixed emotions as well because they're trying to take in all the positives, but there was still the negatives that was still pushing against it. But, you know, probably you asking for that allowed people that it's like all of a sudden that dislodging of that food, but allowed people to, to start to receive. And that's very, very critical, you know, whether you're dealing with an employee, um, you know, or a, a senior team, if you've had that dissension between you, you have to really um, figure out what is keeping people away from becoming vulnerable again, so, right? Because with psychological safety, to your point, if I feel like I'm going to be reprimanded or judged or somewhere along the line that this is going to come back at me, you know, why would I be, you know, open up again? So you have to give people that place of 
um, that cushioning to say, look, I'm really, really real. I know I haven't acted real before, but, you know, give me the benefit of the doubt. And that takes a lot of work. Um, with your senior leadership team, um, were there some steps or things that you do now in culture with your, when you work with uh, companies in culture? Because sometimes um, senior teams tell the CEO what he or she wants to hear. And um, were there, with your senior team, were there people that had to go because they no longer fit the model um, and the kind of the paradigm that you were trying to create? Yes. So I had um, quite a few departures from my senior leadership that um, had to be executed for us to move forward on this journey. Because if my senior leadership team wasn't going to um, follow this approach and this model, it wouldn't be successful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we had to part ways uh, with quite a few of our senior leaders to make space for this type of a culture and transformation. Now, there were quite a few uh, leaders specifically from the middle management that I think um, stepped up to the occasion mm -hmm. and wanted, because they were the ones who were taking the brunt of this, right? So they, right. Felt the, they felt the need for it. They desired this and they wanted this not just for themselves, but for everyone that worked with them because they had more empathy for the last seat, last row and all the struggles that we were going through. So I was fortunate enough to have um, a good middle management layer that stepped up to the occasion and filled the responsibilities, but also were completely bought in to this approach and uh, joined me in this journey of transformation and belief. And uh, ultimately they went on their own journey and we're all on our journeys. Like I wouldn't ever say we'll arrive we have arrived or we will arrive because this is a state of permanent transformation. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, some had to go, some stayed back and they were aligned to it, uh, you know, philosophically, but also from a purpose and desire purpose. And they had to work hard to transform mm -hmm. themselves and work towards this culture. This creating this culture is not easy. It's definitely one that is very desirable for anyone, no matter which part of the world or globe you're from. But at the same time, it is hard work to build a culture of love. It is hard to say, I'm going to put the needs of others before my own. It is hard to uh, do things for others without expectations in return. So it's, it's not easy. We're talking about unconditional love to some degree, right? Yes. Which is why, you know, like, I, I don't know if you have children, but, you know, uh, Mohammed, but, you know, naturally we can, we seem to be able to do that, you know, in personal relationships. But really, if you think about work relationships, you know, you spend sometimes more time with the people on your uh, senior team or at work than you do sometimes your family. So it's extending yeah. that space to others, right? The same that you might do with your two-year-old, you know, who is not taking their time out very well. You're kind and gentle, but you don't say that's it. No more. You, you continue to teach the lesson kind of thing. Now for people listening, right? This, let's say, you know, everybody's been through a tough time, um, in the last uh, two years or so. And, you know, I would say that some, some leaders are, are pretty good at being authentically connected to their staff, but a lot of people have done a lot in the last two years to do the same. But I'm gonna say going back into kind of as the economies are opening up, us a little bit behind the US, um, there's a lot of things that have built up. 
So with the culture of love and kind of what you're talking about for the CEOs of the senior leadership teams listening, what kind of timeline and what kind of plans should they be making to kind of at least get the steps going towards creating the the type of culture you're talking about? Uh, Number one, it's every, every organization and leader is going to have their own journey, uh, some slower, some faster, some will be ahead of others already. Some will have to start uh, from a earlier state. So it all depends. And I know that's not an answer I appreciate, but it is the reality when it comes to culture transformation, right? There are, two, there are a lot of variables, but it really starts with leaders getting to a state of self-awareness. Many leaders are um, have lack of self-awareness, and you know, and by self-awareness, my definition of it is how I think I'm being experienced by others versus how others are truly experiencing me. And that gap, the larger it is, the less self-aware you are. Your goal should be to minimize that gap. So how you think intrinsically you're being experienced is how people are externally truly experiencing mm-hmm. you. And when you, so first step would be for leaders to build that self-awareness and that happens through introspection and, and feedback. And that would be the first step. And when you're able to start that journey of self-awareness, then you recognize the behaviors that you may have that are causing harm. And you can then begin to transform those behaviors Mm -hmm. as long as you're committed to it and take action on it. So it all depends on the size of the organization, where they're starting from, the self-awareness of leaders and how open they are to do this. But I can tell you, COVID has left us in a very difficult predicament right now because the US, while the economies are opening up, we are also going through what is called the great resignation phase. Mm -hmm. We already are seeing exodus of resignations across different corporations. And what I believe COVID has done is made people realize that, hey, I can have a different way of working and life. I can have a true work-life integrated environment where sometimes my work is uh, needed, sometimes my life is needed, and I can be integrated working from home and still be productive and still take care of my family and my children. Mm-hmm. And so more, more of the workforce has realized I don't have to go to the office and put up with a, a boss who might be a jerk to me, <laughs> or I don't have to put up with all of the toxic workplace environments. I can choose to prioritize my family and still work and be proved through this experiment of COVID that it's possible. So organizations and managers that are wanting to people to say, go back to work, they were already at work number one. So I don't know what you mean by go back to work, but also (laughs) these employees now have an option. They're like, you know what? I don't have to go back to work and deal with my toxic workplace environment. So I'm just gonna quit. I can go work anywhere I want. I can work remotely. I can still prioritize my family and still get work done. And so things have changed. So managers and leaders, if their old styles of working is what you want to go back to, well, I got a new slash for you. People aren't willing to take it anymore. They're willing to quit and go somewhere else where they will feel trusted. They don't want to be micromanaged. They want to be valued. They want to be respected. They want to be included. They want to be empowered. And COVID has just accelerated the workplace revolution. So 
if you want a case for change, this is it. <laughs> Leaders have to take this as a true business case for change and a personal case for change. Because if you don't adapt and change our behaviors as leaders to accommodate this new world of the new norm, we're going to be left behind or our businesses have a short life ahead of us. Um, so that's my thought. And to we have no choice. We don't, it's not even a choice of saying, hey, we have to adapt the culture of love. It's like you, you must adapt to it. Otherwise, the people are willing to quit and go elsewhere. And the numbers and the data and everything is proving that right now. So that's kind of my thought about this whole situation. Well, that's, and I, you know, so, you know, I've just started to read a little bit more about what's happening with people resigning. So we're going to see that companies are going to have to step up. And the basis, like you said, um, if, you know, if you're able to create that space for people to realize, maybe in the past, you, there were certain things that you were remiss in doing, but that you're prepared to make those changes so that people can feel appreciated, valued and respected. And that, you know, their voice is equally as important as your voice, the CEO. How powerful is that? You know, and, you know, I've often, you know, in my kind of research for my book, which is the, the new metric is the ROR versus the ROI, which is return on relationship. It talks, I've spoken to so many authentic leaders that they walk the walk. The, so they're the ones that are, you know, moving from, the, you know, the big executive office going into the bullpen, sort of picking up the phone. One particular leader uh, here in Canada picked up the phone and spoke to 200 employees. And everybody that was getting, about to get his call thought, oh no, I'm about to be fired only to be told, no, I'm just calling to say, hi, how are you? Things are going to be tough. We may have to adjust, but you, you know, I, I want you to know I'm here. So you, there's so many leaders out there that are fantastic role models and could really lend that ear to others that are wanting to learn that much more. So Mohammed, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. Our synergies obviously yet again proves itself. So for people that are thinking um, that they're wanting to work uh, on cultural change, um, and to get a copy of the book, why don't you tell them where they can get a hold of the book and reach out to yourself and your team? Sure, not a, uh, not a problem. I'd be happy to. So our book is called Love as a Business Strategy. It is available on Amazon worldwide uh, to purchase a copy if you desire. It's a great resource, uh, but also we host every week um, a Seneca mini leader session, which is our three-hour experience for leaders to come and um, go through an introspective journey with us in those three hours. So we host a session where we um, uncover the behaviors and introspection of our behaviors that lead to culture change. So we do that, and that's available for free for you to come and experience with us and try out. And if that seems something that you resonate with, uh, we'd be happy to work with you, your team, and the organizations. And if you want to learn more about our services and our solutions for culture transformation, uh, we do have a suite of digital products and facilitated experiences for you to do that for your organization. And you can learn about it at uh, www.softway.com, S-O-F-T-W-A-Y.com. Again, Mohammed, thanks so much for your time. And so for everybody listening, you know, uh, you know, love, I said, and authenticity are one and the same. Um, so just think, what is it that you know as a leader you can enhance in your own behavior to start the journey of being more authentically connected to yourself? 
with awareness brings change and which each step, every time you're able to demonstrate something different, the the ROI is so immense that like Mohammed demonstrated with his team, uh, he was able to, to yield the rewards in such a short period of time. Again, thanks for hanging in and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxannederhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.